Bibles with you today. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, they're going to have it on the screen for you. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. If you will, stand with me all over the room this morning. We're going to be reading John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Here's what the Word said. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and he stood in the midst, and he said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas... Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I want to preach to you for a few moments today. Believing without seeing. Believing without seeing. If you will, one more time, pray with me and for me. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for every precious person represented in this house and those joining us online. We pray today, Lord, for the next few moments you would remove every distraction, every hindrance that would prohibit us from hearing what you're speaking to us today. Lord, I pray that you would anoint these lips of clay, that I would not speak my words or that I would not speak with the enticing words of men's wisdom. But Lord, I would declare your word today and that your word would come forth in the demonstration and the power of your spirit, that it would touch hearts and change lives. I pray you would anoint the ear of every hearer and the heart of every person to receive what you're speaking to us today. And God, let us leave this place believing without seeing. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. I can't say enough what a beautiful looking crowd you are this morning. We had a wonderful time in here on Friday night for those that maybe didn't get to make it, worshiping and reflecting on the greatest price that has ever been paid for humanity, and that's when Jesus Christ gave his life for us on a cross. Amen? And I'm so glad to report to you that on Friday night, before I even came up to give an invitation, right in the middle of the worship, little Danny Butler got Jamie, her stepmom, and said, I feel the Lord tugging at my heart. And Jamie got me, and we knelt right here in this altar, right in the middle of the worship, and there was another soul born into the kingdom of God Friday night. We ought to give the Lord praise. For that. And so I know that when you woke up this Easter Sunday morning, you already knew how the story of the Holy Week ended. You didn't wake up wondering whether or not Jesus was still in the grave this morning. You didn't wake up to a world where death and the grave seemed to have won the final victory. You already knew how the story ended before you ever got here today. And as a matter of fact, when you arrived here, you've probably seen the banner that's hanging on the photo backdrop out there that said, He is risen. Or maybe you read a post on Facebook this morning that said, He is alive. And you already knew before you got here this morning how the story ended. But it's very important today for us to remember that on that very first Easter Sunday, so many years ago, the disciples of Jesus 
did not wake up with that same assurance that you and I woke up with today. Whether they were expecting whatever they were expecting to face that day, it's clear from the story that we read that the resurrection was not even on their minds that day. Our text that we read takes us to the evening after the resurrection of Jesus had occurred. And the text invites us into the midst of a group of broken-hearted and confused disciples because we all know what it's like to lose somebody that we love that's very near and dear to us. And we can, we can see those disciples in this text wonder what they're going to do with their lives now that uh, the man that they believe to be the Son of God and the Savior of the world have been taken down from that cross and his body placed in a tomb and a stone rolled over the entrance of that tomb. And parts of three different days have passed by and the disciples had remained out of sight. Still afraid that what had happened to Jesus might very well happen to them if they were to show their faces in public. But now it's Sunday morning. And some of the women who had followed Jesus during most of his earthly ministry were determined to leave that upper room that morning, that upper room hiding place, and go to the tomb where their Lord had been buried. Now, Peter, James, and John didn't go with them. Ladies, have you ever heard a noise at your house at night and you got up and checked it out while your husband laid in bed? It's your time to say amen. On that morning, the ladies went to the tomb by themselves. Peter, James, and John did not go with them. And I believe the reason for that is probably because somebody on the street might still recognize who they were. And after all, it had just been four days earlier that three different people had picked Peter, hand-picked Peter right out of the crowd and announced that he was one of the followers of Jesus. And we all know that three times Peter denied even knowing Jesus. And those encounters took place at night when it was harder to see their face to begin with. But now it's Sunday morning and those disciples, those men knew that detection, the chances of detection were simply too high. So we find that the women go to the tomb alone. We know that from other accounts in the Gospels of Mark and Luke, that the women had come to the tomb early on Sunday morning to anoint the dead body of Jesus with spices and ointments. See, back in this day and time, it was a time before bodies were embalmed. And in the very hot climate of the Middle East, the dead bodies would rapidly decay. And they would begin to have a strong odor and a strong smell. You may even remember the story about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And then one of his sisters, Martha, thought that she had to remind Jesus when he got there that their brother had already been dead for four days. And she said, and by now... He stinketh. And the spices and the ointments that the, the ladies brought to the tomb that morning were largely meant to overpower that smell of decay for as long as possible. But it was also a, a gesture and one last thing and one last time that they could do to show their love and respect for the dead. And to the point that, that we must grasp this morning is that those women on that Easter Sunday morning were making their way to the grave and they were expecting to see a dead body and not a risen Lord. 
And the fact that they were not expecting the resurrection is proven by the fact that when they arrived at the tomb and they found that the stone had been rolled away and they saw that the tomb was empty, not a single one of them said, He is risen or He's alive. Instead, we read that the women went running back to Peter and James and John and they didn't speak up and Peter and James and John they told them they said we don't know what's happened but somebody has stolen the body of Jesus and at that moment Peter didn't speak up and say nobody ought to be scared nobody ought to be alarmed because Jesus has simply been risen from the dead like he said but rather Peter and the other disciples they came out of hiding and they rushed to the empty tomb to look inside Because they all know they couldn't believe what those women had said. They had to see for themselves. And so they looked inside that empty tomb. But when they did, not a single one of them spoke up and said, He is risen, just like he said. No, it was the angel that said that. The disciples, they simply went back into hiding, wondering who has stolen the body of Jesus. And it's important on this Easter Sunday that we remember... On that very first Easter morning, none of the followers of Jesus were expecting him to be raised from the dead. But over the course of that first day, Jesus begins to reveal himself to his friends. And as he does, their spirits are transformed and their faith is strengthened and renewed. And we read that first he appeared to Mary Magdalene who had remained near the tomb after everybody else had left the cemetery. And then we read that he appeared to all of the disciples at once and they were huddled together in the upper room. And the Bible says that while the doors were still locked and the windows were still fastened that Jesus suddenly stood in their midst. And such a sight must have sent them into a panic because he had to calm them down just like he calmed them down when they were on the storm on the sea of Galilee by saying peace he said in the storm peace be still when he showed up in front of them in that upper room that day he said peace to you and then he begins to show them his nail pierced hands and his feet and then he showed them the wound in his side that was caused when the Roman soldier thrust a spear into his body when he was still hanging on the cross to make sure that he was dead. If you know anything about pericardial effusion, you know that when somebody dies, all of the blood pulls by gravity to one place uh, in their body, but also other fluids pull to the same place in their body by gravity. And when that Roman soldier put that spear in Jesus' side, we read in the Bible that both blood and water ran forth, and that proved that he was already dead. And he showed them that place in his side. And needless to say, the disciples were overjoyed. None of them were expecting to see the resurrection, but now all of them knew for a fact that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. Well, almost all of them. It seems that one of the disciples, the one named Thomas that we read about this morning, he was not with the others when Jesus made that miraculous and historic first appearance. My goodness, what a time to be absent from church. Right? Jesus returns from the dead, but Thomas is not there with the other twelve. God's victory over sin and Satan was being confirmed. But Thomas, he wasn't there. 
The Holy Spirit had been given to the disciples so that their ministry could have much of the same power as did the ministry of Jesus. But Thomas, he missed out on the Holy Spirit because Thomas was not there. Let me pause right here and say that every time the saints of God, believers, get together, you and I ought to be present with them if we can. Say amen, somebody. You know why? Because you never know when Jesus is going to show up in a powerful and a wonderful way. And see, I don't know where Thomas was. Just as, now it's going to get really quiet up in here today. Through the worship, we've been a Pentecostal church. I love all denominations and have friends of all such denominations. So right now, I know 99% of you are fixing to turn Presbyterian on me. When I say what I'm about to say. I don't know where Thomas was, just as I don't know where a lot of Christians are any given Sunday morning. Maybe Thomas decided that he wanted to drive to Lexington and have brunch at Carson's, because that's what you do on Sunday. Maybe he was out playing golf or washing his mode of transportation. For him, that would have been his camel or his donkey. But still yet, maybe that's what he was doing, because after all, that's what a lot of people do on Sunday. Maybe Thomas wanted to get a, I know it's going to get quiet now. I think I'll look down while I say it. Maybe Thomas wanted to get a front row seat on the, the next chariot race or some other type of sporting event. Because that's what a lot of people do on Sundays. If he lived in Corbin during summer, maybe he went to the lake. Say, oh me, somebody. But while I don't know where Thomas was, let me tell you something. I do know where Jesus was. And I know what Jesus was doing. Jesus was lifting their broken spirits and increasing their faith. And guess what? That happens almost every time believers get together. While Thomas was absent, Jesus was answering questions and he was settling doubts in their minds. And that often happens every time believers get together. While Jesus was pouring out the power of the Holy Spirit, which thanks be to God, happens many times when believers get together. And by the time Jesus was done with his downhearted hearted disciples the Bible tells us they were all leaping they were all shouting for joy which often happens every time believers get together all of this was happening but Thomas was not there I don't know where some folks are on many Sunday mornings when the people of God gather for worship sometimes folks go to church and sometimes they don't but I know whether you are here or whether I'm here or not. Here's something else I know. Jesus is always here. <laughs> he, I said Jesus is always here. He said in his word where any two or three. I love a large crowd. Any preacher loves a large crowd. But I'm glad it doesn't take a large crowd for Jesus to show up. Any two or three that gather together in his presence. He said I'll be in the midst of them. Jesus shows up every Sunday. Blessings are available every Sunday. Songs are sung and praises are lifted and the gospel is preached. And prayers are heard and answered every single Sunday. And I want to tell you, your soul can be revived every Sunday. Your burdens can be lifted every Sunday. Your faith can be strengthened and renewed every Sunday. Don't be like Thomas. 
who was absent when Jesus showed up and who missed the blessing that Jesus brought with him when he came. So when he finally returned, when Thomas finally returned from wherever he was, the other disciples told him that they had seen Jesus. But Thomas, he didn't believe them. He could tell that something had happened to them. He could see that they now possessed a joy and a hope that Thomas himself still lacked. But something had obviously happened. But when they tried to tell him about the resurrection, Thomas doubted. He didn't want anything to do with it and he wouldn't believe them. And he said that unless he could see Jesus with his own eyes and touch the nail prints in his hands, that he would not believe their report. And as a result of that lack of belief, from that day forward, we've all referred to him as doubting Thomas. However, I want to suggest to you today that we can watch Thomas as he moves from doubter to declarer. And that's my prayer today is that some people will move from doubter to declarer. And I want to tell you, it might be well for us to consider that Thomas had reason to doubt what the other disciples were telling him. After all, except for the people that Jesus had raised from the dead himself, who had ever heard of people getting raised from the dead? That was not a normal occurrence that happened every day. And I'm sure that Thomas believed in life after death in heaven in some unknown spiritual form because many of the Jews had already believed that for hundreds of years at this time. But that was not the message that Thomas was given. Thomas was told that Jesus had just been standing in that room on that day and that was just apparently more than Thomas could comprehend. But what would you say? If I told you that somebody whose body we had escorted from this church to some cemetery had just been seen walking along Cumberland Falls Highway, right? Or even better, what would you say if somebody whose body we had escorted from this place to the cemetery uh, had actually, you were absent like Thomas was, but you hear that they had actually been seated in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning? I know that freaked some of y'all out so bad you'd be like, I ain't never going back to that church. Yeah, I heard an amen. Look, <laughs> say oh me to that, not amen, but amen. But anyway, um, so I, I think this morning that we should be a little more sympathetic with Thomas's point of view if we're being realistic with ourselves. All of us might have doubted the same way that Thomas did. Some things are hard to believe, and some things even seem to be impossible. I wonder. If what is part of what is wrong with the church world today is that we no longer listen to what the Bible actually said. Are you with me? We've heard the stories for so long that we take them for granted. And in doing so, the wonder and the mystery of our faith is lost. We hear that God split the Red Sea right down the middle so that the people of Israel could cross over on dry ground. And we act as if that's an everyday normal occurrence. We hear that Israel made their way across a bleak and a barren desert and that God fed them every day and He rained down manna from heaven and gave them quail and He gave them water from a rock. And we act like that's just a normal, everyday occurrence. The same thing happens with reports of events throughout the life of Jesus. 
Of course, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Of course, he fed. Uh, Kayla's already talked about it when she opened the service today. Of course, he fed 5,000 with just two fishes and five loaves of bread. Of course, he walked on the water. Of course, he turned the water into wine. And of course, he was born of a virgin at the beginning of his life. And he was raised from the dead at the end of his life. None of the other disciples believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead until they saw it with their own eyes. So why do we criticize Thomas? Because he just wanted the same experience that they had had. Is it because we take the biblical story for granted? Is it because we no, we no longer listen to what it says about what God was doing? And now it's going to get real quiet up in here and nobody's going to help me preach this but I'm going to preach can I preach to the church for just a moment today maybe just maybe the reason that Thomas did not believe the report that he received was because he didn't trust those people who were speaking I can imagine that Thomas might have even looked over at Peter and said why should I believe anything that you have to say about Jesus as I recall, the last time his name came up, you were the one who said you didn't even know who he was. You weren't telling the truth then, so how do I know that you're telling the truth now? And he could have looked at some of the other disciples around the room and said something similar. Because all of them, all of them had deserted Jesus. None of them had stood by his side at that critical hour. Maybe Thomas didn't believe what they said because he had no confidence in their integrity. Can I say this? God help the church today to be what we say we are. To live like we say we live. To be a representative, whether we are in the church house or on our secular job or in the grocery store or, God forbid, the drive through or the gas station or, God forbid, the restaurant after church with the server who desperately needs Jesus in her life. God, help the church to be what we say we are. Because I want to tell you, it's a shame when our lifestyle gets in the way of our testimony. We're busy trying to tell other people about Jesus, but all they can really do is notice that somebody's walk doesn't match their talk. There's an old spiritual song that says, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Well, I can back that up with scripture because Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Let me just throw this in here for free. This part don't cost you nothing, okay? <laughs> Nothing's cost you anything so far. But anyway, y'all got worried then because you thought something was going to cost you something. But let me just throw this part in there for free. He said, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Instead of trying to question how much you can do and get by with and still be saved. Hello, somebody? Why don't you just ask the question, does this comply with the will of my Father in heaven? Can I hear an amen? If you answer that question, you won't have to worry about the other questions. Our challenge in life is not only to talk about heaven, but to be sure that when we leave this place, we're going there. And in order for that to happen, we have to have an 
authentic verbal testimony for Jesus Christ that's not offset by the way we live. That means our prayer life shouldn't be offset by our private life. Say amen, somebody. That means our praise that we do shouldn't be offset by the profanity that we use. Hello? That means our love for Jesus should not be outweighed by our thirst for the things of this world. Our walk should match our talk. Say amen, somebody. Our love for Jesus should not be obscured by our addiction to something else. And I'm going to say this one even though it's not popular. Our intimacy with Christ in the Spirit cannot go alongside with our intimacy with somebody else who is not our spouse. Say amen, somebody. Mm -hmm, yeah, I didn't get a lot of help on that one. Our times of worship. Our times of worship should also not be prolonged by times of worry. If we really have faith in the God that we're worshiping, we don't have to worry. He's got it all in His hands. Christ's command to, to us to love and serve one another should never be replaced by a selfish love that serves nobody else other than ourselves. Our walk, church, should match our talk. And when that does not happen, our testimony is weakened to the point that nobody listens to what we say because they're distracted by how we live. Maybe, just maybe, Thomas didn't believe Peter and the others because sometimes their walk didn't match their talk. Moving on. For whatever reason, some of y'all can breathe now. For whatever reason there was for Thomas' doubt, Thomas got what he wanted from the Lord one week later. The Bible says that Jesus showed up again in the room where the disciples were gathered together. And this time he speaks directly to Thomas and he tells him to come and place his fingers in the wounds on his body. And he tells him to come and place his hand in the wound on his side. And I can almost hear Jesus as he's talking to this disbelieving disciple as he says, Come over here, Thomas. I, I came back just for you. Hmm. I want to stop right there and tell some of y'all this morning, Jesus came back just for you. Jesus came back just for you. You may not have believed yet. You may be full of doubt this morning. But I want to tell you, Jesus got up and he came back just for you. But I believe he said, come here, Thomas. I've come back just for you. Come here and let all your doubts be settled. Come, come place your fingers in the wounds left by the spikes. Come and touch me where the Roman spear pierced my side. Come on over here, Thomas. Come and see what you missed the first time I came back. I want you to come here and know for sure that I'm risen from the dead. Come here, Thomas. Don't doubt any longer. There's one more thing to be said from this text today, and I'm almost finished. Jesus said to Thomas, You have believed because you have seen. But blessed are those who will not be able to see, but still willing to believe. Thomas joined the other disciples in believing the resurrection of Jesus because he physically saw him for himself. He physically touched him with his hands. He physically heard his voice after he was raised from the dead. See, all these disciples, they were there. When Jesus preached on the mountainsides of Galilee. They were there when Jesus healed as he traveled the roads of Judea. They were there in that upper room when Jesus ate with them and instituted the Lord's Supper the very night before he died. They were also there in that same upper room when Jesus appeared to them in the hours and the days following the resurrection. It was easier for them to believe because they were able to see the whole thing unfold before their very eyes. See, the real issue surrounding Easter 
is not what Thomas did or did not believe. The real issue for today, listen to me, is whether or not you and I believe this same story. Do you believe that Jesus was the Son of God? Do you believe that he lived on this earth as an extension of the very presence of God? He was fully man and fully God. Do you believe that when he died on that cross, that all of your sins could be forgiven if you just put your faith and your trust in him? Do you believe that when God raised him from the dead, that he also swung open the gates of the grave and he gave the promise of eternal life to everybody that calls on the name of Jesus? Do you believe that? This morning. See, the blessing is not to those who lived and walked with Jesus and who saw everything recorded in the Bible. The true blessing really belongs to those who cannot prove it, but they still don't doubt it. The blessing belongs to those who never physically saw it, yet they're willing to stake their very lives and their very souls on it. The blessing belongs to you. And it belongs to me and to anybody else who stands nearly 2,000 years removed from Calvary and who continues to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is risen from the dead. Let me tell you something this morning. You can go to the grave of Muhammad and you'll find Muhammad there. You can go to the grave of Ari Krishna and you'll find Ari Krishna there. You can go to the tomb and the graves of any other gods recorded in history and you'll find their dead remains there but thank God if you go to the tomb in Jerusalem you'll not find a shed of evidence of Jesus Christ because he is not there he is alive forevermore hallelujah blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed I want to ask you this morning what is your declaration as we gather today in celebration of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I hope that you're prepared to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. I hope you're prepared to declare that because of Him your sins can be and will be forgiven. I hope you're prepared to say that you'll walk by faith and not by sight. See, I wish somebody would claim Jesus today even though there's much in your life that you don't know or fully understand. I wish somebody would claim Jesus today as the way, the truth, and the life. I wish somebody would claim Jesus today. Even maybe everything in your present world is not as you wish it would be. But claim Jesus today and allow him to order your every step. The word says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. And I wish that somebody would leave here today saying the same thing that Thomas said. After he saw Jesus and stuck his hand in his side and touched the nail piercings in his hands. And you know what Thomas said? He said, my Lord and my God. I want to tell you something this morning. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that he is my Lord and he is my God this morning. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you because you've seen and believed. But guess what? There's a greater blessing to all of us who have not seen and still believed. If they'll come to the music this morning. I want to tell you, 
I cannot prove that Jesus was born of a virgin mother. But I believe it. I can't prove to you that he made the blind to see or the lame to walk or even the dead come back to life. I can't prove any of that or any of the other stories that are recorded in this book. I can't prove it to you because I wasn't there. But I want to tell you this morning, I still believe every word of it. I, I can't see I can't see electricity working in this place this morning. It's in the walls and it's in the rafters and it's in conduit. And inside the conduit, it's in uh, cabling uh, wrapped in, in plastic that won't cause the place to burn down. I can't see the electricity working, but I believe in it because I know the lights are on. Are you with me this morning? I can't see it, but I believe in it. I can't see gravity holding things down, but I believe it. And I want to tell you something else this morning. I can't prove to you that a prayer spoken in faith at the bedside of a sick person can have the power to bring them healing. I can't prove it to you, but my God, I've seen him do it. I said, my God, I've seen him do it. And because I've seen him do it, I believe it. I said, I believe it. I want to tell you something this morning. Many of you may not even know, but in 2007, I had a massive blood clot. Some of you have heard the story, so those that have heard the story, bear with me. I had a massive blood clot form in my left leg. And I was in the hospital for a total of 17 days. And my left leg swelled to 36 inches in diameter at the top. And when they flew me from London to Lexington after six days in London, here's what they told me. They said, you will lose your leg if you don't lose your life. We're getting you there for amputation because there's no way you're going to be able to keep this leg. It's going to swell and bust. It was 36 inches in diameter at the top, almost as big as my 38-inch pants I have on this morning. Pray for me. I've got some 36s in the closet. Amen, somebody. But anyway, my left leg was 36 inches in diameter at the top. And they said, you will lose your leg if you don't lose your life. And then when I got to Lexington for the remainder of those other 11 days, they looked right at me and they said you have cancer in your body and we just have to find it we don't know where it's at and I went through test after test after test after test looking for cancer but I know what it is to pray the prayer of faith and say God if you'll heal me I'll preach your word for the rest of my life I know what it is I didn't see him physically walk into the room but I know that I know that I know that he healed me he me. I can't prove it to you, but here I stand today on two legs declaring the word of the Lord.